Thank you, Neil. Okay, so it's the time to introduce the person who's going to be speaking. Uh, open your Bible. No, I'm joking. Um, Mike, please come up. Let's just stretch out our hands and just um, bless him because I know he's going to bless us with the word that he has for us. I can see it. (laughs) 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 Father, thank you for Mike. Thank you for his heart and just his devotion to you, Lord. I just pray that we'll catch the word that you've planted in his heart, Lord. So I just pray that you'll prepare our hearts because I know he is ready. So I just pray that you'll speak through him and that you'll just, yeah, you'll just come mightily and just speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Hey, good evening, family. Yeah, I hope you guys are doing well. So tonight we're going to speak on, wow, someone already went to sleep. Shame. Man, that is talent. I'm just kidding. If that was you, please forgive me. I like to have fun. Right. I'm going to speak tonight on uh, Rooted and Ready. So that's the title. And I have a nice little subtitle, so here you go. If you're taking notes, good luck. The subtitle is, Two Insanely Practical Tips from Jesus on How to Stay Connected to His Life So You're Ready for What God Wants to Do in Any Challenge. Did you get that? Yeah. All right. So that's like whenever, you ever, bought a, you ever bought a book and the subtitle was like the cover, the, it covered the entire front cover and you're like, man. So no, I'm not going to say that again. So Two Insanely Practical Tips for stuff. Right. Last week we looked at, wasn't that great? Last week we looked at um, John chapter 15 verses 1 through 8 and the key was remain in me so you can bear fruit. And tonight we're going to look at the next few verses and Jesus in these verses makes it clear and really practical, thank God, practical, on how we can remain in him. But I want to point out like Pastor Louis did this morning so beautifully the context of this thing because the context is something else. Uh, that night, when he, he's having this conversation with his disciples, and just hours from now, like one or two in the morning, he's going to get arrested. And the next day, they're going to watch him be crucified. So this is the context, hey? This is, um, and he says to them, right after the few verses that I get to share with you guys tonight, right after that, he says, if the world hates you, don't be shocked. The world hates me too. And you're going to have lots of persecution. So the context of these, how many are like, yeah, this is exciting. Pin drop. (laughs) The point is, tough things are going to happen. And how do we stay? How do we stay? How do we stay strong? How do we not just, not just survive make it through tough times. But how do we thrive in tough times? Because I think it's stunning. Jesus was telling his disciples, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to be arrested and tried and I'm going to be crucified and delivered up to death. And you guys are going to have it hard. And tough times are coming. And in the middle of all that, remain in me, remain in my love, and you're going to bear so much fruit. Jesus was saying through the hard times, you're not just going to make it. You're going to show off. You're not just going to barely cut it by, but you're going you're gonna to produce hectic fruit right in the middle of everything. How many of y'all don't want to just make it through the tough times? How many of y'all want to overcome and win big? I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if like some little rugby team from South Africa beat the All Blacks like 17 to nil, you know? Wouldn't that be amazing? Is it just me? I would love it. It would be so awesome. We didn't just beat him, eh? Like we took it to him, 
you know? We, we, and we embarrassed them. You know, we took their jerseys, too. They had to, like, leave without their shirts. And we beat them that bad. And that's how Jesus wants us to overcome in the hard times. You're not just going to make it. You're going to show off. But actually, he's going he's to say, it's God showing off, not you and me, right? So in these tough times, how do we bear fruit? He says, remain in me. So he's going to give these things, these big threats. He's going to give these uh, tips on how to handle big threats, how to stay connected. So this morning, Pastor Louie talked about ready position because of a devotional he read and I read that was really cool. Ready position is a sports thing. There's lots of different, for different sports, there's different ready positions, and I so should have talked to you, Matthew. Um, he, did, he did the basketball one this morning, and I just cannot play basketball. I really, if you want entertainment, play basketball with me, and it, I'll beat you because you'll be laughing. And um, while you're laughing, I'll, I'll climb the back, you know, and I'll, I'll just put it in there. You know, I'm terrible at it. So um, my game is baseball. So I'm going to show you one of baseball's three or four different ready positions. So what ready position is, whatever's coming, you put yourself in a position to be ready. You guys who played cricket, it's similar to being in the outfield in baseball when you're not, when you're not at bat or bowling. You stand in the field, you've got your feet shoulder width apart, and you've bent over a little bit because you're ready to run this way for the ball or that way, or you're ready to catch it. You're ready, right? That's a ready position. So I want to show you baseball ready position because me, I love baseball. This is my team. This is the Houston Astros. We did win the championship. That's right. Yeah. On the way to the championship, we beat some teams you may have heard of. We beat the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Boom. <laughs> right, and I'm making the sound guy scared. I'm not going to hit it, Nay. Don't worry. So here we go. This is baseball's ready position. You have a bat. You're standing here. The guy's about to throw the ball at 140 Ks an hour right here. You know, it's, um, it's a bit intimidating, especially some of the great ones, man. I would love, there's a guy named Randy Johnson. He throws 140 Ks an hour, and then his off-speed pitch, man, it's only 120 Ks an hour. You know, I would, my dream is just to stand there and watch one go by and go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but every now and then, the ball goes a little wild and it hits you, and it, it's sore. Right? <laughs> the thing hits you. So here's a ready position. It's not like this. And it's not like this. So how many know that well, you, most of the time they're longer? <laughs> you can't lean, be leaning on your bat. You can't be standing there because you're not going to be ready. The ball's going to come, and you're not going to be ready for it. The ready position in, I know it doesn't look, look like cricket, y'all, but the ready position is like this. All right? When the ball comes, man, I'm ready. And I'm going to clap that thing, and it's going to go far, right? <laughs> You know, and that's an, I love baseball, uh, but I wasn't very good at it. But I can look good, right? When I strike out, I look good doing it. <laughs> but that's your ready position. You've got your elbow up so that you're ready to get to any part of the zone, um, and your knees bent, and you're ready to go. Uh, I, some of my son's friends had an interest in baseball, so they they said, um, "Hey, bring your stuff, and we want to play." And they and they figured, you know, I'm dad, so I can probably pitch. And I kind of can, you know, but I can't do, you know, 100 Ks an hour like I used to. So um, 
my son's a my son's little friend. Uh, you know, he he stood in and I showed him. No, put your the first he he did this stuff. Why do y'all even do that? You know, and he's gonna like sweep the floor like cricket. Like that's not coming down there, eh? You know. So I told him get your elbow up. It's gonna come up here. So he got ready and he said, throw it really hard. I said, not yet because, you know, let's just see. So I only threw it like 70 Ks and I couldn't believe it. After not, after not pitching in so long, it was a beautiful pitch. It went right down the middle, but he wasn't there to see it because when, you know, he stood, he looked kind of good. And when the ball started coming, he went. The man was not in ready position. <laughs> I told Russell I was going to tell that story, and Russell said, just don't say Dion's name. I said, okay. I'll... <laughs> I promise. <laughs> it was good times. <laughs> How many I want to be ready? Is it just me? Okay, I'm me, I want to be ready. Hey, I want to be ready. There's lots of ready positions. How many of you watch these, these funny movies nowadays in martial arts? They don't just get ready. They taunt one another. You see that? First they, you know, they do this thing, but then they go, right? <laughs> Whatever your ready position looks like, let's be ready. So let's get ready for tip number one. Tip number one is your anchor. Jesus, remember two insanely practical tips on being ready for whatever God wants you to do, even when it's really hard. So tip number one, your anchor is this, love God and be loved by him. Love God and be loved by him. Now, this is so easy to accomplish, the loved by him part, because we don't have to do that. He, he did it, yo. You don't have to earn it. God made a decision long ago. He saw your face. I promise you, I can prove it in scripture. He saw you. He imagined you. He designed and decided there would be a you, and he made a decision. I love this one. You, think about your face. Think about your life. Think about your identity. You, the living God who created everything, decided this one. I am going to love this one. I do love this one. Now, do you know when he made that decision? He made that decision just before he said... Let there be light. Ephesians 1.4, God chose you in himself from the foundations of the world. So you are his first idea. He loves you more than the kalahari. He loves you more than the whatever stunning, amazing, beautiful thing you can think of. The Drakensberg, um, Kilimanjaro, Grand Canyon. He loves you more than that. You were his first idea. It's settled. God loves you. And I pray that that thing settles in your heart and you leave here more confident than you came in. You've got friends in high places. Jesus says, as the fathers loved me, I'm in John chapter 15. Sorry, y'all swipe with me on your devices, right? Because has anyone brought a real Bible to church? Y'all swipe with me. Hey, look at it. Yo, old school. Yes, fist bump, Bluetooth. All right, John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
There's a pro tip right there. <laughs> I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We see three things here. We see love, obedience, and joy. And they are closely related. That's a big thing. He says, I have loved you and you can't earn it. Thank God. Remain in him. There's a book named, named Toxic Love written by a guy named Malcolm Smith. It's a stunning, stunning book. If you want to spend 30 minutes reading and an hour crying, <laughs> just get that book. I'm telling you, it's only 54 pages. It'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. It's an incredible book. That in this book, he suggests this. He just suggests, he, was that a fun word or what? He suggests that we set aside time every day to sit in God's presence, not to pray, not to perform, just to sit and be loved by him. Years ago, I was an assistant youth pastor, and some kids came out of the school that weren't church anywhere, and they joined our little youth group, and I was serving my youth pastor, and I was so excited, and I prayed all summer long, God, do these great things in their lives. God, do stuff in their, in their families' lives. And I cried out, and I prayed, and by the end of the summer, they had all backslidden and gone back to whatever they were doing, and nothing whatsoever happened. And in fact, some of our kids also backslid, and by the end of the summer, the youth group was smaller than it was at the beginning. And then I went to Bible college, and I started at Bible college that fall term, and I said to the Lord, you know what, I'm going to finish out this term since my dad paid for it, and I'm going back to get my music degree, because if you're not going to answer my prayers, then why would I fool with ministry? That's just, why would I, that was a horrible summer, God, and, and clearly I'm not cut out for this thing. So I'm taking my little classes, I'm biding my time, and I'm being a good steward of what was given to me, but I'm, I'm looking around and I'm going to go back because y'all know I kind of like music, and I would much rather study that. And I went to this church service, this amazing message was preached, and I'm watching the people respond to the Lord, and I'm praying for them, and, and these kids come back to my mind, and I start to ask God about it, and God said, yeah, about that. So I start listening. I said, all summer long, you talk to me about these kids. And you talk to me about these kids. But when was the last time you just crawled up in my lap and said, Daddy? And it was a turning point in my life. I made a beeline to the altar. you know. But I didn't wait for someone to pray for me. I just went and crawled up in the altar and just... I did crawl up in his lap and say, Daddy, and it was, y'all know them ugly cries? It was an ugly cry, but it's okay. <laughs> so, it's just, so we look at this word remain. Jesus said remain. And I looked it up in the Greek. I like to do these things. I like to see what does it mean in the Greek? Because it feels abstract, right? Remain in my love. How do I do that? You know, in my, in my ace, you know, I know how to do that, right? I live in my house that I can handle. How does this remain in his love work? So I looked at the Greek word remain and you know what it means? It means vun. It means, it means abide. If I didn't say that word correctly, all you Afrikaans speakers, you forgive me, right? Vun? Okay. And it means, it means, check this out. It means to remain and then it means to not leave. Yeah, that is profound. To be present, to stay, to lust, to endure, to remain and not become different. So with all these shades of meaning for this Greek word, I have a question. Does any, does any of them sound like you're working up a sweat? Does it sound hard? All right, to remain in his love is not difficult. 
It's, it's, like, it's like chill. It's, it's easy to remain. And Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. So I just want to ask you a very common sense, practical question. Has anyone ever walked past a grapevine and heard the branches grunting? No, no one? No, I'm kidding. I haven't heard it either. You ever walk past a lemon tree? My friend's got lemon trees and like these huge lemons. I'm like, man, we used to say everything's big in Texas. That lemon's bigger than my head. It's huge, man. This is a massive lemon. And, you know, and I walk past that thing all the time. And I think, that must be a lot of work. And those branches, they're not grunting at all. They're not, they're not doing it. How weird would it be anyway, right? You're walking past a, a grapevine and you hear, and you look and there's this branch. And, all this, and the branch is like, yeah, I'm made of fruits. Come look at it. Yes. Wouldn't that be strange? So we would all spend all of our time in orchards and grapevines so we could hear the grunting and then, you know, branches don't do the work, y'all. The life comes from the vine. The life comes from the vine. The vine does all the work. The vine produces the fruit. The branches, Jesus said, bear fruit. Y'all English majors, you know what bear means other than the big scary animal? When it's a verb, do you know what it means? It means to carry. You didn't make it. You just carry it. So how did, the, how did the branch get all that fruit on it? It just rocked up and it stayed there. Abide. Stay there. Galatians 5.23, it says the fruit of the Spirit. This is what I love about the, the New International Version. They can see in the Greek when the writers are talking about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of man, your spirit and my spirit. And when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, they put a capital S. Isn't that cool? Isn't that nifty? Right? Galatians 5, and 23. And this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look at that capital S, y'all. It's his fruit. Thank God, because y'all ain't got no patience. I done prayed for patience so many times. It is not there. But I'm abiding in the vine. So I get up in the morning and I do. I stand in the shower. Jesus, please make patience and gentleness through me today. So I forgot to ask you yesterday. It was a bit of a train smash. So, Lord, I thank you that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please produce self-control in me today. And I trust him for that. And guess what? He does. And when you see self-control in me, you can know that it's Jesus working. Because outside of Jesus, ain't no self-control here. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody else? And see, some people have some of these things normally because we were at one time created in the image of God. Some people are naturally gentle, and that's nice. But me, if I'm going to be gentle, I need Jesus. I need Jesus, and I need him now and lots of it, right? I'm so glad it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The vine produces the fruit. Fruit is the, fruit is the product of the inherent energy in the organism, right? The life of, the life of Christ that we're connected to. So, so okay, that's such a nice story. How can you make that practical? So at Bible college, where I went, because I actually stayed, thank God, because that's where my girl was. That's where I met her. All right? So I would be like this old bachelor playing the keyboard alone if I hadn't stayed in Bible college. And I got to do things like move here. So it's awesome. 
But they had this program called Resident Assistant, RAs. And you would serve in the dorm by kind of like, you know, doing some, some um, devotions and a little bit of peer leadership and what, what. So in that thing, they asked me to handle a couple of disciplinary things, you know, but these guys are my peers. So the first one I didn't handle too well. I thought, I just went and I just handled it. I was like, you know, hey, man, this is the rule, and we have all agreed to do this. And the thing is, uh, with, with our faith, we, you know, and I said, we're motivated by what Jesus, you know, did, did for us that we want to follow or whatever. And whatever I said, it was nonsense, and it offended him because he thought I was saying I'm a better Christian than he was. And I was like, yeah, God, that went so well. So the next time, and the guy didn't talk to me like I had to. We had to, like, do forgiveness and stuff. It was a mess. The next time something happened, it was much worse. And, and they were like, Mike, talk to this guy and encourage him. And, and the thing is, it's a rule. It, at this Bible college, we signed an agreement there's going to be no alcohol in the dorm. So, like, when you came to, to sort your life up by going to Bible college and you get so desperate and you want to ferment orange juice for two weeks... <laughs> On your on your windowsill, so that you can have some alcohol. That's actually not on because we signed an agreement. So I'm having to help this guy through this and some other things. But he's he's five years older than me, and five years is a long time when you're younger than I am now. And so I'm about to go in there, but I'm like, this guy's legit trying to follow Jesus, and I want to go in there. I don't want to go in there and preen and say all kind of worth, worthless religious rubbish. So this is what I did, and no one had ever even taught me this yet. It was just the mercy of God. I said, I got alone in my room, and I said, Jesus, please love this man through me. I'm not smart enough. Please love this man through me. And it just even if I don't even say anything, would you just be in charge? And when I went and sat down with him, the compassion that came out of me and the wisdom that came out of me it was not directly from just me. Y'all, what is that? It was the branch attached to the vine and letting the life of the vine come and produce some fruit. And my meeting with that guy was much more tasty, if I can say that like fruit, than the first meeting. What was the difference? Jesus, do it through me. Right? I'm hoping to whet your appetite to really realize that you are connected to the vine. And this whole abiding thing is trusting him. There's a wonderful uh, married couple that teaches in the States about this thing. And it's so simple. She even says, Jesus, Jesus, make the eggs through me. Every little thing. And when the egg yolks breaks, I asked you to do it. So I'm not going to worry about it because you broke the yolk. <laughs> but it's this thing of trusting Jesus every little thing. And you know what? I can cook eggs just fine. But that's how much I want Jesus to have every little thing in my life. My everyday eating and sleeping, walking around, going to earth life. Even when I make the eggs, Jesus, would you do that through me too? Right? How many of y'all want to let Jesus live through you? So there's a cooperation on the part of the branch with the vine. And what is our part? Our part is obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And when I, I don't know about you, when I was a little kid, I read this thing. And I was like, oh, my God, if I don't obey Jesus, he doesn't love me anymore. And then I got scared. It is not what it says. Am I the only one? I'm the only one. All right. Well, a support group for me. But it's not what he meant. 
He said, it's, he, what he's saying is when you disobey, you disconnect from my love. The key to abiding is obedience, right? And then he said, I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. So those three things that work together, right? Abiding, no, excuse me, love, obedience, and joy. And it's like this cycle. You remain in his love. You realize he loves you, and it motivates you to do what? To do what he says, because I love him, and I want to please him. And then that makes me really happy. That fills my heart with joy, right? Which reminds me that he loves me. And it's a cycle, but it's not a vicious cycle. It's an incredible cycle of joy. So I want to invite you tonight, if you're on a different spot, get on the ride. Because it is a great ride. It's a cycle that feeds off of one another. And I'm going to just quickly give you an example of how we might not be on this lovely ride. And it's just these steps of maturity. So when my son was a very, very small baby, Shandra and I did everything for him. Y'all, everything. You know what I'm saying? Everything. Right? Those of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You did everything for them. And then when he gets older... And he's a kid, he has to do things for me because it's part of training. Clean your own room, make your bed, right? Get your clothes off the floor or there are going to be some problems. There's the dirty clothes hamper, right? <laughs> ben, you know? So there's these, there's these things that he has to learn to do for me. And, and he starts learning to do stuff for mom and dad. But that's not the end goal. Here's the greatest joy for me as a dad. As he's now approaching adulthood, the greatest joy isn't me doing stuff for him or him doing stuff for me. The greatest joy is us doing stuff together. I love doing projects with my son. We rewired the whole house we moved into because it was done wrong and it was a fire hazard. I was like, since I don't want to die in my sleep, we're going to just rewire this. And I did a little research because I know the code in Texas, but I don't live in Texas. So I did a little research around the code here. And once I knew that, we just, we just did it right. But the great joy for me was doing it together with my son. I could have done it by myself and probably faster. But it was just wonderful. And can I tell you from the heart of your father, he wants to do stuff with you. He wants to do stuff with you. And that's where obedience comes in. Obedience, when Jesus says, if you love me, you do what I command, it's an invitation. Because in the same passage, he says, you're my friends. And then later, when Paul catches sight of this through the Holy Spirit, he writes, we are Christ's co-laborers. Yo, man, I don't know about you, but my co-worker is the king of glory. <laughs> right? Man, your father wants to do stuff with you. And that's a beautiful thing. What projects are you up to, Father God? What do you want to do? It's the amazing privilege of co-laboring with Jesus. And I want to invite you. And if you're in a place where you're still trying to do stuff for God and you're striving and you're trying to impress him, I want to, can I just tell you, it's impossible to impress God. You know, can you imagine if your dad was Fungo and you wanted to paint? You're like, you're done. You're not going to, how do you, you know? What if, you know, I, I like to try to play the keyboard. What if my dad was Beethoven, right? Dad, watch this. You know what? Never mind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God isn't, God, we cannot impress God with what we do. But the, but the thing is, 
God is entirely impressed by who we are, and he loves us. And he's so into you more so than your work. He's so into you, and he loves you. So if if you're trying to impress God, if you're trying to earn his love, you can't. That's a frustrating thing. I don't. A lot of us, we learn to manipulate love. We learned, I know if I do this, I can make this person like me more. And if I do this, I can fit in with this crowd. And you, you know, you can work the room. You can manipulate things and gain favor and gain love for yourself. And then if you get frustrated with somebody, you know the buttons to push to make them like you or love you less, right? And we can manipulate people like that. There's no manipulators in the room. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know the games we play and we get frustrated because God doesn't fall for any of that stuff. We work super hard, and he doesn't love us anymore because it's impossible to love us anymore than he already does. And then we try, and then we mess up, and we find out, man, God, don't you hate me yet? No. Doesn't love you one bit less. You can't manipulate God at all. He loves you, and that's settled. And with that issue settled, now we can work with our hands and our faces and our feet to glorify and, and, and obey and work together with our Father, not trying to earn something from Him, but because we are free, because He loves us. And now we're doing something with Him. So I want to invite you tonight, if you've been in that place where you're doing stuff for Him and you're exhausted and you, you're try, you've tried so hard and you're so tired and you're unaware that you're actually already approved of in Christ, and he already loves you. Man, tonight, where do, they, do we pray on this side? Where do we pray, Stephen? Where do we pray? Is it over? We pray over here. We pray. Where do we pray? Y'all find Stephen, and he's going to have people pray for you. No pressure. I think it's over here. Tonight, it's over here. <laughs> go to the piano. Y'all, go, go to the piano tonight, that one. And um, let's, let's pray together around this thing. So God's love for you is your anchor. That's your anchor. And obedience is your weapon. Is anybody afraid yet? I'm not going to use it, I promise. But I know how. I'm kidding. Obedience is your weapon. Now in the next verses, Jesus gives us our biggest weapon. And it's kind of surprising because I was an 80s Pentecostal kid from the Bible Belt. So I figured my biggest weapon is spiritual warfare, right? We're going to shandai this thing down. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) What is your greatest weapon? Are you ready? Your greatest weapon. Tip number two. Your greatest weapon. Love one another. Mic drop. Kidding. I won't drop it, Hannes. Your greatest weapon is when you love one another. Do you know what the evidence is that Jesus is the Son of God and God himself exists and sent Jesus to this earth? Do you know what the evidence is? Our unity. How many of y'all are a bit what? I thought the evidence would be like signs and wonders, right? I thought the evidence would be like gold dust on the seats and healings, you know? No, according to Jesus in John 17, the evidence is our unity. So you know what? I want to be one with you, and I want to be one with my friends at this church. I want to be one with my brothers and sisters at that church. Because if I divide myself from anybody, then the world can't tell that he really is God and he sent his son, Jesus. And if the world can't tell that, we're doing something very wrong. 
Your greatest weapon is not your theology. Your greatest weapon is not how right you are with your political opinions and how much holier you are, righteous you are than anyone else. Your greatest weapon is that you love one another. That is your greatest weapon. And sometimes, it's all humans, right? In church, sometimes we hard to love. Is it just me? Sometimes we're hard to love. So that's the second thing. I want to implore you. That's a big fancy word. I beg you. If you struggle with loving some people in church because they did this and he did that and she did that, would you come and let us pray with you tonight? Because Jesus didn't like it when they did that to you either. And Jesus is ready to heal. Because the greatest thing about love, I had a pastor, actually my pastor in Texas, somebody close to him did something so wrong and burned him good. And basically took half the church and ran. But before they took half the church and ran, they drug his name through the mud with rumors and lies and all this stuff. It's an awful experience. And I caught him kind of in the middle of that because I was, you know, volunteering in the church and I was going to Bible college. And I was like, I was like, Pastor Rusty, what are you going to do? And he said, he said, I'm going to forgive him and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to love people and trust people again. And someday I'm going to get burned again. And then I'm going to forgive him and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to love God and I'm going to trust people and love people again. Because, Mike, if I ever stop trusting people and loving people, then I'm done. How can I live without being connected to my family in Christ? It's like, I found that so heroic. Surely not easy. And if you're damaged tonight um, from your own family in Christ, you're so not alone, you know. But once you come after, after church, let's sort that thing out. Let's get you free to love. You know, and I'm not going to say you're going to walk home tonight. Woo, everything's fine. But let's start a journey. Is that okay? You know, hard stuff. Jesus is worth walking through the hard stuff for. Your freedom is worth walking through the hard stuff for. And then if I can't snap my fingers and lay hands on you and you get goosebumps and fall out and an hour later you get up and everything's fine, it's still worth it. You know, however long it takes to walk through it, let's do this thing, shall we? Let's get some freedom because there's a lot at stake. Your greatest weapon is to love others. My command is this, Jesus says in verse 12, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Y'all, within three or four days, he's about to do just this. The context is stunning. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And then within... The next few decades, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, told these men to write all this stuff down. Do you know why? Because Jesus is looking at you and saying, I am sharing my Father's business with you because you are not my servant. You're my friend. Y'all, you've got friends in very high places. Isn't it beautiful? So how do we love others? I've got a ton of practical examples. I'm not going to give them all to you because, yeah, it's, it's 
So, so, but here's some that are, I find really beautiful. One is not 1,900 years old. Beautiful practical example. Um, in the first century and second century Rome, I'm talking about the city, not the massive empire, in the city of Rome, there were these believers. And these, these folks were hardcore, legit Christ followers. And the life of Christ was exploding in them. And they were doing the thing. They were persecuted and they were made fun of. And there were these hideous practices that they couldn't do anything about because you know, they couldn't go tell the Senate to pass laws because they didn't have that kind of privilege. All they could do was just serve Jesus in a horrible culture. People used to abandon infant girls on the walls because the society was stupid and ignorant and thought boys were more valuable than girls. And they would just leave newborn baby girls on the walls to die. And the only people in that culture that woke up and realized that human little girl has value because she is created in the image of God were the Christ followers. So what did they do? They hid out by the walls and they grabbed those baby girls and they raised them as their own because they were showing love to the least of these in the most practical ways. Right. But you would think, how could we how could you know, it's easy to love the little girl, but how could you love the monstrous, horrible people that would stick a baby on the wall and leave it to be eaten by the crows and the wolves? How could you love somebody? And the answer is you just do. Practically. So when the plague broke out. The rest of the Roman citizens would abandon the neighborhoods with the plague and be like, oh, well, hmm. I'm fit to get your plague. I'm going to go over here. And what did the Christians do? Hey, that person was created in the image of God, and they do not deserve to be abandoned. And the Christians went in to the neighborhoods with the plague. The same people that would abandon their infants on the wall, the Christians would run into those neighborhoods and take care of them. And sometimes they would get sick with them and die with them. But they weren't going to let somebody go without the love of God. So how do you show love? That's pretty practical, isn't it? Philadelphia, 1980, there was a breakout of AIDS in, in Philadelphia, and it was in the homosexual community. Now, we know practicing homosexuality is a sin, but a lot of some religious, um, some religious voices were saying it was the judgment from God on this group of people. But they're nonsense, I know. But there were some Christians that were like, no ways, man. We don't agree with your choices. We don't agree with your lifestyle. But we sure know that God loves you and you're created in his image. And they rushed into those neighborhoods and they built soup kitchens and they built nursing stations. And they cared and loved for a group of people whose lifestyle and whose belief systems were entirely different. Why? Because we're not here to judge. We're here to love. Right? Your greatest weapon isn't how right you are. It's how much you love. Practical, real, down-to-earth love. When I was in college, my friends would go on Thursday night, 50 miles away, to a... How do you describe this place? It's a bar with lots of country and western music. So we're already at odds. My friends didn't know Jesus, and they like country and western. I don't like country or western. You know what I'm saying? I like music. I'm just kidding. If I offended you. <laughs> so not my favorite music. So we have, 
We have, we're at odds already. And the place is called Hurricane Harry's. Funny name, right? But they would dance and to music, and they would drink way too much, and they'd get drunk. I'm not down with drunkenness either. Then they would drive home. I'm really not down with that. You're endangering yourself and my friends and whoever else you pass on the road. So like on Thursday night, my friends that live in the same dormitory and I, we are, we are not in agreement, right? The first night I noticed this, I'm trying to sleep at 2 in the morning because I'm writing an exam at 8 in the morning. And they come in loud and drunk at 2 a.m. And I'm trying to sleep and I'm writing an exam and I'm like mad. And thank God, I, I wanted to open the door and sort them out. Anyone ever tried to reason with a drunk person? <laughs> thank God I didn't do that. It would have gone nowhere. And the next Thursday night, I was ready. I was ready. I'm going to handle this. So they got there drunk. They had been driving drunk. They had been doing all these things that are not in alignment with my belief system. And I was ready. Because the last Thursday night, the loudest thing is my friend Daniel had collapsed down the stairs because he was too drunk to come up the stairs. And he had an alcohol problem, and I knew that would probably still be the case. And I was ready. I had the coffee on, and I was standing at the bottom steps so I could help Daniel walk up and not damage himself. And so I could serve coffee to all my drunk friends so they could see an example of someone who loves them and doesn't judge them. And after a few weeks, they're like, man, Mike, we know every Thursday you're going to be here waiting for us with the coffee. What was I doing? I was loving with what I had. They weren't going to listen to my sermon, but they were going to drink my coffee. So y'all go to Connect because coffee is spiritual. <laughs> right. The last two verses, Jesus said, so here's your tip number one, be loved by God and love him back. Tip number two, love one another. In the tough times, this, and I, I'm going to get very personal with you for a minute. Seven years ago, my family went through hell on earth, a very, very, very difficult and challenging thing, really hard. And it was a storm. It was, it was a hectic storm. Um, we lost someone in our family, and it was extremely difficult. And when that thing was hitting the most, the, just the Holy Spirit in his mercy said, sit down with Chandra and establish anchors, because you're, you're about to ask me a lot of questions, and I'm okay. But you need to decide which ones are non-negotiable. And I couldn't believe his mercy that he would say that. So I sat down with Chandra, and our biggest anchor was this first one, God loves us. Non-negotiable, God is a father, and he loves us, and he wants what's best for us. And you know, I, I can barely remember that to really think about the other two or three <laughs> anchors that we had. That's the one that held us. And y'all, it was, it was something. One of the pastors here said, Mike, what are you afraid of the most? I said, I'm afraid I won't even be serving God five years from now. Right? It was hard. But we held on to that thing and we made it through that storm. We didn't just survive. We bore fruit. We thrived. And it was God, y'all. It was God. Right? That is your anchor. Tip number two, love one another. And Jesus, the conclusion I have for you tonight, the next verse is Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Isn't that great? He chose you. Um, and appointed you so that you might bear fruit. Fruit that will Lost. So Galatians 22, 5, 22, and 23, we were talking about this earlier, through fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
You know what it is? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here's the deal. I want to see signs and wonders, and I hope you do too. I want to see healings, man. I want to see... I want to see stuff that you cannot explain and no man could have done. I want God to just show off, right? I want to see it. But there's something I'm even more hungry for. What if all of us looked like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? What if all of us went in our homes, in the streets, and our workplaces, and we looked like that. I'm going to tell you, we changed the world faster than 10,000 healings. We changed the world faster than gold dust following and covering the whole city because we'd be showing the world what God is like. And I want to see the glory of God. In this city. Do you? If we want to change the world, we must behave in line with his character. And we sing this song, we sing it, um, show me your glory, right? Show me your glory, oh God. And we cry out, we cry, just one touch of your glory, Lord. Let your glory fall. And we cry out these things in song. And I want to see God's glory in this building and in my house and at work. I want to see it in the streets. Father, cover the city with your glory like the waters cover the sea. And I'm like, so let's look at scripture. What is this? And I know that amazing passage where the musicians couldn't do their work because the glory of God came and, and, you know, and they couldn't even play and everybody was laying on the ground. Oh, and that's really cool. But here's an older one. Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God said, okay, we're going to take a couple of precautions so that you survive, but okay. <laughs> so you're going to go stand in the cleft of the rock. And as I walk past with my face, I'm going to cover you so, so you can live to tell about it. But here's the, next thing that, here's the next thing that I find so poignant. Moses said, show me your glory. And God's answer is this as he walked past. Catch this. The Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. God, show me your glory. The Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. God, show your glory to 20. And God says, okay, I'm gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. And I live inside of you. So go on with your bad self and show 20 that I am gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. Because he's chosen a vessel to show his glory to your city and your nation. And if you want to, do you want to see the vessel? You will see it? Put your phone on selfie mode and have a look. He's chosen you. Father, thank you for your glory. Thank you for choosing us. And God, I pray that, that you would inspire all of us in the room to say, yes, God, I want to see your glory. So start right here with me. Right here with me. I love you. And I want you to love everyone through me.
And God, show your glory to my family. God, and help us not to be crying out, God, show your glory. God, change Mama Lodi. God, change Irsteris. God, God, change my house. God, start in my house. Bring revival here and change my community. God, we want to see your glory in this season like never before. And Father, thank you for the amazing things you've done in seasons past. But I pray in this season, I cry out, let your glory be shown in our faces and in our actions. God, show your glory. We cry out for lasting fruit. Not the little revival that we talk about that lasted two years. God, we cry out for lasting fruit. And we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.